Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Van Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. There's no question that the islands of Hawaii are some of the most beautiful places you'll ever see here on Earth. But don't let that fool you into thinking this paradise is without its share of mystery and intrigue. In fact, you could argue that when something weird happens here, it's even creepier because nothing should be amiss in the wondrous Aloha State. Here are the top five strangest and creepy mysteries from Hawaii. Number five, Stairway to Heaven Disappearance. Hidden amidst the lush mountains of Waianae, Oahu, is a place with an eerie allure the stairway to heaven. But far from its name, this tourist hotspot will become the site of one of the country's most mysterious disappearance cases ever. In 2015, Dalen Mokipua said goodbye to his family and boarded a bus to Waianae. He was headed there to visit his grandmother and had plans to hike the forbidden Haiku Stairs, aka the stairway to heaven. These stairs are a steep 3,922-step steel structure 
which was once the only access point to a former U.S. Navy communications facility in Oahu. Constructed in 1942, the site was used to transmit signals to Navy ships operating in the Pacific. And then in the 1950s, the station got decommissioned, and the trail was then officially closed to the public in 1987. On February 27th of 2015, Moki told his grandmother his plans for the day. Concerned about the intensity of the hike, she strongly advised against it, but the 17-year-old had to take the adventure on himself. This area of the island is beautiful and green. Anyone going would need to take pictures, and that's exactly what he did. He texted a few of them to his family, and that was the last communication he ever had with them. And Pua hasn't been seen or heard from since. A massive search effort involving the fire department, police, many volunteers, and even the U.S. Navy immediately kicked off. His family shared the photo he had taken, which was then used to help look in areas they knew he had been. The search went on for days. Just as they were about to halt the operation, two volunteer hikers reported hearing cries for help. This prompted operatives to extend the search, but in the end, no evidence of the young man was found. But if you look closely at the picture... There's something very creepy, as some of the searchers pointed out. Among the vast, lush jungle, if you zoom in, you can see what appears to be a man. There is no one around except for Pua and this strange mystery guy, leading many to believe that perhaps the unidentified individual may have had a hand in the disappearance. Daylene Pua's vanishing remains a haunting mystery to this day, though. Did he meet an accident while attempting the dangerous climb, or was there actually foul play involved? It's been almost a decade now since he went missing, but the Pua family has never given up hope that one day the beloved young man will return. The Haiku Stairs, once a restricted mountain route, has now become remembered as a site of a baffling disappearance, its breathtaking facade now overshadowed by the lingering uncertainty of Moki's fate. Number four, the Peterboy case. More than a couple decades ago, a heartbreaking event took place in Hawaii that would prompt authorities overall to intensify their efforts in protecting missing and exploited children. And it all began in 1997 when six-year-old Peterboy Kema, a resident on the big island of Hawaii, disappeared under very mysterious circumstances. His parents, Peter Sr. and Jaylene, reported him missing, and immediately police and the community bound together to help in the search efforts for the lost boy. Over fairly quickly, suspicions fell on mom and dad, as authorities went to their house and talked with the siblings. The kids were fairly tight-lipped, but word was that the boy had been missing for six months prior to being reported missing. Digging into the neighborhood and actions of the family, it was confirmed then that no one had seen little Peter boy for quite some time. But there was still no sign of him. The parents stuck to their story of the boy just vanishing one day. The community and police now turned on the family, 
wanting answers and justice, but days turned into weeks and weeks into years, and nothing ever came of it. The community never forgot about the boy, though, and would post signs and posters, as well as create bumper stickers with the message, So where's Peter? These would go on to make it to the mainland and all over the U.S. as a testament that the boy was not forgotten. It seemed everyone knew who was responsible for the crime and that likely the boy was dead. Jimmy O'Cole, the boy's grandfather, spoke of abuse in the home, having seen bruises and even broken bones on the young child. And Peter's brother and two sisters talked about it too, but ultimately there was not enough evidence. Nineteen years later, police had no choice as the statute of limitations was running out to charge the parents. They arrested them for murder, would then try their best to get whatever information they could and hope that at the trial it would get sorted out and be enough. They then went on to interrogate Peter to the point where, surprisingly, he broke down and confessed. Perhaps all those years of lying finally got to him, and he had to get the weight off his shoulders. Then in exchange for a reduced sentence, Mr. Kemma agreed to reveal the location where he supposedly dumped his own son's body. Authorities were quick to pick up on the information, which led them to a remote coastal area of the Big Island in 2017. Unfortunately, though, due to the passage of time and frequent floodings in that area, the victim's remains were erased, and this left investigators empty-handed once again. But if there's any consolation, at least police now have the confession. During the interrogation, Peter also claimed to have taken his son from the big island to Oahu and handed him over to a certain Auntie Rose Mukakane, and this person was supposed to adopt the child. However, detectives couldn't find any record of such a woman even existing in the area. Due to these inconsistencies, prosecutors strongly believe that young Peter may have suffered severe abuse at the hands of his parents, and they allege that the boy may have died from injuries directly related to it. This was corroborated by the boy's younger sister, who at the time was four years old. According to her, she heard her mother crying for help while trying to resuscitate her brother, and right after that, she never saw him again. In 2005, a former welfare services officer disclosed an array of documents detailing some shocking allegations of abuse committed not only against the deceased, but also to his siblings at the hands of their own father. With such strong proof now, Mr. and Mrs. Kemma were finally indicted in the case. Mother Jaylene served a year for failure to get the victim medical treatment, which then caused his eventual death. And Peter Sr., on the other hand, received a 20-year sentence for manslaughter. Number 3. The Menehune The Menehunes are a race of dwarf-like people who live deep in the jungles of Hawaii. Standing at just about three feet tall, they're believed to possess special powers and are known for their exceptional craftsmanship. Hawaii has many interesting traditions and folklore, and while the idea of a dwarf-like race living on the island may sound unbelievable, with all myths, no matter what culture you're looking at, there is always some truth behind them. Stories of the Menahunes 
have been passed down through the generations of those living on the islands that describe these mythical entities as inhabiting the lush and deep valleys of the Hawaiian Islands. Here, they toil during the night to construct impressive structures like temples, houses, fish ponds, roads, and canoes. Among the countless magnificent structures attributed to these little people is the Kiki Aloha, which is aptly known as the Menahune Ditch. This ditch, located near Waimea, is an irrigation system made of stacked lava stones used to transport water to the taro fields. Another famous construction is the Alacoco Fish Pond. And this is believed to be around a thousand years old, and legend says that the Menahunes built it for a princess and her brother. However, construction was halted when the siblings decided to spy on them. They were then turned into stone pillars. Amidst this rather fantastical-sounding lore, experts said there could be some historical basis to their existence. Theories suggest that the Menahune were a group of indigenous people who came to live in Hawaii long before the Polynesians came to settle in the area. Considering their relatively larger size, the new settlers found it easy to dominate and later on drive these minute inhabitants away from their plains. The Menahunes were then forced to seek refuge in the mountains and valleys. Their conquered mentality, plus their small stature, explains why these sort of individuals are extremely shy, which is why, should there be any construction project they need to undertake, they would only do it in the middle of the night. The word Menahune itself may also be an adaptation from the European term Menahuni, which by the time of the colonization of the Hawaiian islands by Europeans had acquired a meaning of lowly people or low social status. Hence, the small stature isn't literal, but showing that all these structures were built by the lower class. Whether or not the Menahune are real historical figures or just mythical beings, the answer remains elusive. But the legend continues to add color and intrigue to Hawaiian culture and the history of the islands as a whole. Number 2. Dana, Ireland On Christmas Eve of 1991, Dana, Ireland... A young woman from Virginia flew all the way to the Big Island to spend the holidays on the tropical paradise. On that fateful afternoon, the 23-year-old was riding her bike while heading towards a friend's house in Kapaho's vacation land area to invite him over for a Christmas Eve dinner. The road takes you along the beautiful coastline, and it was a safe ride that she'd done many times during her stay. However, that day was a tragic exception. At around 5 or 6 in the evening, a couple stumbled upon an abandoned collision scene near the entrance of Kapaho Vacation Land. They found Dana's mangled bicycle, a tennis shoe, tire tracks in the dirt, and clumps of blonde hair. The witnesses were quick to surmise that there likely was a severe accident that had taken place. While they waited for police to get there, they took it upon themselves to look for the bike rider, but no one was found. 30 minutes later, and over 5 miles away from that scene, deep in the bushes near a fishing trail, 
another person made a horrifying discovery. There, Dana lay on the ground battered, her body partially clothed and barely clinging to life. The girl was delirious and incoherent in her speech. She was trying to talk, but it was almost as if it took too much effort to get any words out. Help arrived and emergency services immediately rushed the woman to Hilo Hospital, where they worked to save her, but the extent of her injuries were just too severe. So in the early hours of that Christmas day, Miss Ireland succumbed to massive blood loss and passed away. The initial focus of the investigation was tracking down two vehicles suspected to be involved in the accident. According to witnesses in the area, it was a 1970s model pickup truck and a light-colored van. However, neither one of them was ever found. It appeared as though whoever was responsible hit Dana with their car and threw her in the trunk before driving off to a remote area to have their way with her. And from the jump, it seemed like the police and the media wanted to keep the case quiet. The Ireland family, though, put a lot of pressure on authorities to keep progressing, and the years that followed saw a series of surprising twists and turns. In 1994, John Gonsalves, who was facing some serious cocaine trafficking charges, ratted out to the police that his half-brother, Frank Pauline, had important information about the case. One question, Pauline then named two brothers, Albert and Sean Schweitzer, as the killers who lived in the area at the time. Two years later, though, Pauline recanted his story, saying that he had to make it up to help Gonsalves stay out of prison. In part by pressure from the family and locals to solve the case, in 1997, Pauline, along with the Schweitzer brothers, were charged with the rape, kidnapping, and murder of the girl. Curiously, though, none of the DNA evidence taken from the crime scene could match those of the accused. However, prosecutors continued to pursue the case against them. You have to remember, back then, DNA technology was nothing compared to what it is today. Eventually, Pauline and the brothers ended up getting convicted of the crime and put behind bars. Though in 2023, the Hawaii Innocence Project, along with the International Innocence Project, have been calling for the review and exoneration of the said accused individuals. After a thorough evaluation of evidence and the lack thereof, a judge ordered the reversal of the conviction of Albert, who had been sentenced to 130 years. He was let out after 23 years in prison, and now they're working to get the other two men out as well. And so if these men weren't involved in the crime, then apparently... The perpetrator is still out there. Number one, the crew of the Sarah Joe. One of the most enduring maritime mysteries revolves around five skilled and capable fishermen who went out to cast their reels on a beautiful day in Hawaii, but sadly never came back. It was February 11th of 1979, and five local men Benjamin Kalama, Ralph Malachini, Scott Mormon, Patrick Wozner, and Peter Hanchett decided to go fishing. They all worked construction together and thought a day out on the ocean would be a great way to celebrate their recently finished project. 
Ralph proposed to ask his twin brother Robert to borrow his ship, a 17-foot Boston whaler named Sarah Jo, which was then docked in Hannah, Maui. It was perfectly sunny that day, and the crew couldn't be more confident to set sail into the open sea. However, within hours of their departure, the weather began to change rapidly. Unknowingly, there was an approaching low-pressure storm system that was heading their way, and soon, the Sarah Joe found herself battered between gale-force winds and 40-foot swells. Meanwhile, back on the island, Peter's father, John, grew concerned about the men's safety and went out to search for them. But because of the storm, he couldn't get far, so he had to call the Coast Guard to conduct a wider search for the Sarah Joe and her crew, and by sea and air they looked. Days turned into weeks, though, and still no sign of the fishermen. By this point, local residents had joined in the effort to track the boat, but the problem that investigators had was that nobody had any clue as to where the group went. They never told anyone where they were headed, and so it was hard to say where they could have ended up. The focus of the search was scattered, and it was essentially a guessing game. Almost a month later, authorities came to the conclusion that the Boston whaler sank with all of its crew on board. To honor the men, family members, and relatives of the five fishermen held a memorial service, which would go on to become an annual event for them. And then on September 9th of 1988, almost 10 years after the five set sail, John Naughton, a marine biologist who was out on a wildlife expedition, found a wreckage site of a boat on a deserted atoll called Taongi, about 2,000 miles west of Hawaii. Upon closer inspection, something even more frightening was found. Naughton discovered a shallow grave on that land. In it were a set of human remains, which would later be identified as Scott Mormon, one of the missing men. Meanwhile, they also found a sheaf of paper and tinfoil materials buried with the skeleton. Even now, no one knew the purpose of such materials, let alone the identity of those who left them behind. With Mormon and the boat itself already found, the mystery now revolves on the whereabouts of Kalama, Malachini, Wozner, and Hanchet. Could they still be alive elsewhere, or are their fates as tragic as that of their shipmate? If they did make it to the island and ultimately buried their friend, where are the remains of the guys who buried them? Coast Guard officials initially believed that the Sarah Joe could have drifted to the Marshall Islands in about three months, covering the 2,000-mile distance from Maui. However, a U.S. government survey conducted six years before the Naughton expedition found no trace of the boat on Teongi, or even the burial site. And this, of course, raised questions about the whereabouts of the whaler during that time. One theory emerged about the buried body, suggesting that this could be a part of an oriental burial tradition. Meaning, there's a possibility that a fishing boat from another region may have come across Mormon, not wanting to leave him to the elements, provided him with a burial according to their customs. However, many were wondering why they left without reporting the incident. So, to this day, the story of what exactly happened to the Sarah Joe remains one of the most enduring mysteries 
and all of the Aloha State. So there were the top five strangest and creepy mysteries from Hawaii. They have beauty, sun, and beaches, but clearly also dark and strange mysteries. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. And if you enjoyed this and want more content from us, go check out our other podcast called Everytown, where we do deeper dives into the most insane true crime and weird stories around. Stay safe out there. I'll see you in the next one.